0: Hi, guys, and welcome to the Healthified podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McLaughlin, holistic health coach, writer, and wellness entrepreneur who has, for over 15 years, delved deeply into my passions of nutrition and health. Before we get started, this episode of Healthified is brought to you by our sister company, Gratified, a natural foods company I launched in order to make a more impactful change in the packaged food space. Our products are made with real food ingredients and blood sugar balance in mind. For a discount off of our products, visit gratified.com and use the promo code healthified at checkout. Today's guest is Megan Hodge, licensed acupuncturist and owner of her private practice centered Richmond acupuncture and wellness. For over 10 years, she has been treating and working with clients in the realm of Chinese medicine. In our conversation, we discuss acupuncture and Chinese medicine, what it is and how it works, as well as the issues and ailments she treats from the physical end of the spectrum, like pain and digestive distress, to more of the mental and emotional, such as stress, anxiety, and sleep. The myths and fears about acupuncture and why it could be an effective tool in your holistic health toolbox. Diet and nutrition, the major tenets of Chinese medicine that she read about years ago to jumpstart her career, and how her personal nutritional philosophy has evolved since. How COVID not only impacted her business, but changed the types of issues for which her clients come to see her. Let's head to our chat. All right. Hi, Megan. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm so happy you were able to come on today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's fun. Yes. Um, so for those of you who don't know, uh, this is Megan Hodge and she is my personal acupuncturist. Um, I've, worked with her off and on for years. And she's the founder of Centered Richmond Acupuncture and Wellness um, here in Richmond, Virginia. So I am so excited to bring her on. And it's so funny, we had to reschedule this interview due to weather um, last week, but that same exact day I had a friend and she was like, she texted me and she said, I know that you go to acupuncture and that you really love your acupuncturist. So what is the name um, and how can I get an appointment with her? And I was like, that is so crazy that you texted me today of all days about this. So
1: um,
0: I can't wait to share all of this good information. Oh yeah. Um, So with that, if you could just start out and kind of tell us about your background and story and how you got to where you are. Yeah, sure. Um, Well,
1: When I was growing up, I was really, um, really interested in the sciences and really saw my career going somewhere um, in an orientation towards helping people. And then I thought it was going to be counseling or psychiatry or something in that vein. And so when I was at UVA, I studied um, psychology and um, for quite a while afterwards, really had my, like, I had downloaded the application to apply to the master's of counseling um, program. I started taking some pre-med classes. I couldn't really quite decide what direction I wanted to go in, but I, going in that direction just lacked something for me. I could never quite pull the trigger on it. And I knew I was looking for something that felt and sounded like helping people in a way that felt a little bigger to me, a little more, I didn't really have the terms for it at the time, but I was looking for something that was a little more holistic, a Tool for helping people that let me integrate all the things that were going on in their lives, all the issues they were having, whether it was pain or digestion or emotional stuff. I think talk therapy is amazing. I think it can be an amazing and profound tool, but I I knew I wanted something just a little different than that. So I stumbled into this kind of by accident. Somebody loaned me a book and it was about Chinese medicine, dietary therapy, which sounds so dry and so boring. But I started paging through the book, <laughs> and uh, I started paging through the book, and it sounded interesting. And I, before I knew it, I was reading this book like it was a novel, which was so strange to me in retrospect. And uh, I couldn't get enough. And I had some little health things going on, some digestion stuff, some allergies, and just started playing around with it. And I just found it to be so enormously helpful that my life started to pick up in a different direction at that point. And then it was just. Things just kind of happened and within like eight months or a year or something, I was had moved to Oregon and was studying Chinese medicine and it just all happened kind of fast.
0: Wow. So that kind of pivot point where you were studying psychology and you knew you wanted to help people. And it sounded to me as if you wanted to get more onto a holistic path, obviously with um, medicine and health, like, had you heard of that, you know, prior or growing up, or was it just kind of like this intuitive knowing that, you know, you wanted to kind of enter that realm more than the traditional? It was um, maybe a little bit of both. I had heard of acupuncture. I don't remember the first time
1: that I heard about it. Maybe sometime during college, um, I had a qigong practice, which is kind of like a traditional Chinese meditation movement practice, sort of like a cousin of yoga. And I think I had heard of it there for the first time. And I thought going to acupuncture was kind of like going to a trade school, like um, massage or something like that, and nothing wrong with that. But it what I knew of it it didn't I didn't know that it could be so involved and so in-depth and um so thorough in helping patients with certain issues and um I remember graduate around the time I graduated from UVA I heard a friend was thinking of going to acupuncture school and I was so ignorant at that point about it so this was 2003 I literally said to my friend who told me about it what a weirdo who does that (laughs) 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 So that moment in retrospect to me is pretty hilarious now and never say never, I guess. But um, yeah, Yeah. something changed over the few years after that. And by 2006, I was in Oregon.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of, I mean, and kind of reading about your um, background on your website, I mean, you're pretty honest about how, you know, you grew up in an area in Virginia and you grew up in a family where this might have been perceived as kind of quacky right? Yeah. So that, that to me, it's not, I feel as if it wasn't super weird that you had that reaction at first, just because of the background. Yeah. Piece. But when you, when you decided to kind of pursue this path, how did your family take it? Or what was um, the reactions from other people? And how did you overcome that?
1: Yeah, I mean, by that point in my life, I, I was well into adulthood. And I'm, I think it's important to take care with, the types of people you surround yourself with. And so I had really cultivated relationships with lots of people that were hugely supportive and thought it was gonna be a fantastic idea and were really encouraging. And my family was was supportive too. My dad's biggest concern was actually more financial. He wanted me to, he really wanted me to go to business school and set myself up for solid financial ground, which is really wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I, really I can relate. It. Yeah, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, okay. So, Really, at that point in my life, uh, you know, I I wasn't living in Franklin County anymore, and tons of people there think it's so cool and so great. But also, there's a very um, there's a very Christian community that sometimes, you know, feels has strong feelings about things like yoga or, you know, sort of Mm -hmm. new wave or new age types of things. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was pretty good. It was pretty smooth.
0: Yeah. And look at you now, right? You've built an amazing business and you are a business person, but you're doing what kind of aligns with you and your passion and, and you know, this. So it's kind of the best of both worlds, I would say. I think so. <laughs> so, I mean, talking about psychology and what you studied for a good portion of um, college, I mean, do you feel as if that interest and that knowledge comes in handy now? Because, you know i feel as if mental health is obviously getting more i don't want to say mainstream but it's getting to be more included in holistic health practices right and and when i walk into your office like there's a good 15 20 minutes where i almost feel like you're my therapist and i get to kind of like talk to you because especially with something like acupuncture right and and i'm a yoga teacher i've gone through training and i i firmly believe that we hold stuff in our bodies. Um, and so you can't separate the two. Do you find yourself kind of like going, um, falling on that to kind of help your clients?
1: Um, I would say less as time goes by. Um, I'm not a registered counselor. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what I just try to do that feels so different for patients is to simply listen when they have things they feel like they need to share. Mm -hmm. And I try to keep any advice to, you know, strictly medical with some, some people, the conversation gets a little more personal and I can offer personal advice, you know, as needed, but, um, but the background in psychology has really helped me to be more aware of mental health issues and spot things going on with mental health that the patient may or may not be aware of themselves. I think anxiety is incredibly common and increasingly common in the yeah. type of world that we live in with all the stimulation and demands and stress and you know having to schlep the kids around and whatever. And most people don't a lot of people that come into my practice don't necessarily identify that they have anxiety, but I can tell that they have anxiety by the number of questions they ask, you know, how they sit in their chair. Mm-hmm. just, you know, it, it's given me good footing to sort of pay attention and fill some gaps or, you know, make some suggestions based on what might be going on with them. And, you know, I'm not officially diagnosing patients with, you know, any diseases right. or whatever, but you can just, you know, it, it, it's helped me to um, be more intuitive and in tune with what are what's going on in folks' lives.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, just, over the years and just being the sensitive person that you are, you're probably really good at reading energy of people.
1: I think um, I try to stay away from the energy word simply because
0: Mm.
1: I think of myself as an acupuncturist for normal people. I really enjoy making it accessible to people Um, in conversation in a way that might feel inaccessible. Otherwise, I like to use really simple language that people understand and can relate to, you know, whether that's the language of Western medicine or just, you know, whatever language they're they're talking to me about. I think um, it's one of my, I would say one of my best qualities as a healthcare provider is I try to meet you where you're at and try to um, talk to you in a language that you can understand and I have nothing against like talking about energy in my personal life. I I think it's cool and fun to talk about energy or whatever, but yeah. uh, But I would say I'm very intuitive and I'm very in tune to what's going on. I'm sure you've noticed. I just try to pay attention and listen. And um,
0: yeah, I like listening. Yeah. Do you ever offer suggestions um, to like other kind of modalities of holistic health, whether that be meditation, diet, exercise, what have you?
1: Yes, of course. Uh, I try. So often by the time people come to me, people can be quite um, in pain or, you know, have really severe symptoms. The acupuncturist is often the last resort for most people. So I try to at first keep things very simple. I'll often recommend a regimen of acupuncture or acupuncture and Chinese herbs, depending on what the problem is. And give it a little time and just see what's what's going on. I don't like to pile on and pile on and pile on. But, you know, if a patient mentions, ask me a question, oh, do you think meditation might be good? I'll tell a personal story as to how it was helpful for me and, you know, give them some pointers. Um, or, you know, people ask me, what do you think about yoga? Or, you know, it, all kinds of things come up in conversation. And I, I do absolutely love sending people To providers or into practices that I think that are going to be, you know, give them um, even better results for whatever goal they have.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I would imagine that you know that if someone is coming to you for acupuncture, it seems as if um, they're very open to exploring other areas of holistic health too. So I'm sure sure. that they can appreciate your recommendations. Yeah. Um, And I want to get into kind of more of the acupuncture herbs and how exactly it works in a little bit, but I want to back up really quickly to that nutrition book that you read that kind of um put you more permanently on this path. And so it was called Healing with Whole Foods. Yes. Right. And I think I've seen it in your office before and, oh, and I remember being drawn to it. And I think I picked it up one day and I was like, oh this looks heavy. <laughs> Um, before. but obviously with a passion in nutrition, I, I love learning about all that stuff. And so, um, that is something, you know, nutrition and Chinese medicine is something I'm less familiar with. So I'm just curious, kind of what were the main tenets in that book? And is it something that you still adhere to, or has your kind of personal nutrition and views on diet evolved over the years?
1: Oh gosh. Yes. I mean, I think for most people, that kind of stuff is always evolving, right? Um, that book has a very sort of strict vegan bent, which I think isn't really an angle that works well for many people and many body types and yeah, many climates. Um, so there's, I'll say that about it, but it's really, it's kind of teaching a whole system of dietary therapy. So it's not, it's not advocating one thing versus another. It's, giving you tools to sort of identify what your body might be needing based on where it falls in these sort of um, this pattern diagnosis that Chinese medicine does. You know, if your problem is here, you might be having these symptoms and you can do, you know, you can introduce more of these foods and eat less of these foods. Mm. That's not really rigorous or dogmatic. It just gives you some guidance for, you know, healing yourself, which I think is something that we don't really have a language for in Western medicine with diet. There's, There's so many diets, but we don't understand on a deep level what they do. You know, most of them are about losing weight or, you know, something kind of along that or having beautiful skin. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but um, some people have medical problems. And they need something to, you know, heal a digestive problem or treat their pain. Or so if you're um, somebody with medical problems, something, an approach like that can be helpful, but it can also be confusing because the language is, written in the language of another culture. It's right. And feel really out of context for a lot of American folks. So I don't really like refer out of the book or whatever, but I definitely can um, use some of the basic principles to help folks.
0: Yeah, for sure. I actually think about you and then cringe when I drink a smoothie in the (laughs) winter time. (laughs) <laughs> sometimes I just want a smoothie and it's cold outside and yeah. I know like I know my stomach is gonna hate me for this and Megan would slap my wrist but like sorry <laughs> just like... well I'll tell you
1: I had some ice cream last night and you know it's February and I think sometimes you just gotta live a little
0: or whatever for sure, and you know it's not lost on me that you probably had ice cream on the first day that was like sixty-eight degrees. So maybe you. Oh know. uh, well, I had ice
1: cream earlier in the week too. Just so you. Don't <laughs> know. I think I'm living some pristine life or whatever I'm not. Oh,
0: that's great. Um, so can I ask how you personally eat, or what kind of nutritional philosophy you adhere to?
1: Yeah, I mean, I um, I think I just kind of eat whatever I feel like eating at this point mm-hmm. in my life. I think when I was younger for whatever reason I've I was not in a body that felt good which I think was part of what sent me on this journey of, of finding answers of how to make myself feel better and by extension help other people learn how to feel better in their bodies um, so I feel like I've sort of all been there done that I feel great every day now I wake up with good energy I have good digestion I have great sleep there's nothing really there's no reason for me to feel like I need to be hyper focused on what I eat that being said I you know, I try to eat plenty of vegetables. Um, I cook a lot of food at home with my husband. Um, but you know, I have red wine and I mm-hmm. like pizza and, um, but with no cheese, cause we're both, I'm pretty lactose intolerant, but it's, I don't, I don't think too much about it. I just eat what looks good. I try to get good quality ingredients and eat plenty of vegetables and that's kind of it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, based on what I see kind of on your social media, I mean, you definitely value good, healthy, real food. I think that when you kind of let go of the anxiety and fear around things that might be considered less nutritious, you know, your body is in more of a parasympathetic nervous state where it can process things a lot easier. Um, So, I mean, it's just, it's more about that balanced approach.
1: Yeah. And I think the, giving yourself permission to eat things that you want, not, you know, I'm not talking about binging or, you know, eating a whole Mm -hmm. cake or whatever, but giving yourself treats or, you know, little things that taste good, it it helps prevent a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. I had a patient, um, who recently, you know, said, I've been so good about sugar for so long. I hadn't had any. And then, you know, yesterday I ate half of a king cake. And I said, listen, Mm -hmm. like have some sweets sometimes it's okay. You're not, you're not really going to harm yourself if you let yourself have like a little treat, a little sweet at the end of the day, you know, and if that helps you, you know, get out of that place where you feel like occasionally you need to eat a whole cake, that's probably a lot healthier for you and a lot better for just, you know, feeling good in your body every day than trying to really strictly avoid it when you have really strong cravings for sugar,
0: just let yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, With my health coaching clients i tell them like i want you like right from the get-go to give yourself permission to eat whatever you want and they look at me like i have three heads (laughs) but when you kind of because the response then is if i give myself permission to have whatever i want i'll fly off the rails and and you know obviously there's some coaching on that side of things and um disentangling the emotional attachment food and and, and stuff like that but you know think about the way the human brain works you know we tell ourselves we can't have something and we're gonna want it even more and you know the human brain like when there's that gap there like I mean based on neuroscience there's this um phenomenon called information gap theory I mean just out of curiosity alone whether it's subconscious or conscious we're gonna try and you know eventually we're gonna break um but also just think about like, when someone's like, don't push the red button, what do you wanna do? You wanna push the red button. So it's, yeah, there's like this, no need for this like anxious white knuckling of it. If you can kind of give yourself permission, but at the end of the day, you know, let's say someone was in a little bit of a more um, a mindset around food where they felt a little bit more control and they were valuing good nutrition. And then you said, you can have half that king cake but do you want to, right? And and then they were able to consciously make a decision where like, actually, no, I don't because I'm feeling so good and blah, 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 blah. So when you can start from a place of permission first, I feel as if exactly what you're saying, people can practice more balance and moderation.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the cool things about acupuncture, sort of one of the side effects of it is that it helps, going through a process working with an acupuncturist often helps get you in touch with how you feel when you do things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important with diet, you know, pay attention to how you feel after you ate something. Did you feel good? Did you feel not so good? And if you felt good, maybe do more of that. And if you felt terrible after eating, figure out why, you know, was it that it was fried? Was it that you ate too much? Was it, you know, what I think you can feel good after you eat. If you um, just start, start paying a little bit of attention and nobody Nobody exactly. teaches that. Nobody says, pay attention to how you feel after you
0: eat. Right, right. No. And the body awareness and being in tune to your body, but also working with your body. Like I feel like in our culture as women, we're almost taught that this body's not only like a separate thing, but it, that it's something negative that we should be berating day in and day out and picking yeah. ourselves apart in the mirror. And like, when you can understand that you're, you need to be working with your body, like in this beautiful symbiotic relationship, then, you know, it's a lot easier to pursue health goals and achieve health goals from a place of self-love than negativity.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I think-, think that, oh,
0: Go ahead. There's a little- bit Oh, I was going to say, and I think acupuncture seems to be one of those ways that to get you more in tune with your body.
1: Yeah. And I, I think even- that's all so important. And I try to think about what's the point when I do something, you know, why why do this? What's the value in it? And I think the value in investing in yourself, time-wise, money-wise, effort-wise, whatever, you know, why why do all this stuff? I think none of it matters if you can't give yourself permission to enjoy your life, you know? and so many people come to me because they're in such a desperate place, especially chronic pain patients, you know, they're, they aren't enjoying their life anymore and they miss the things that they used to enjoy and they they so want to get back to that. And that's, it's one thing to have it taken away from you and realize that you miss it, you know, that the enjoyment mm-hmm. of life. But if, if you haven't sort of been at that deep, dark place and, you know, you're just, you know, younger woman who has all these like really conflicting messages about, you know, what to eat and why and how you're supposed to look, you know, what, what even is the point of all that self-torture if you're not enjoying your life? Like I'm, I, I try to not put people on really restrictive diets. See a lot of patients come in. They're like, what are you going to tell me that I can't eat? And I'm like, nothing, I'm not going to tell you, you can't eat anything because it's so important that you enjoy your life. That's what I want to help you do. I want to help you get back to a place where you can enjoy your life again. I think yes exactly. Liberating.
0: For sure. Um and I love that and I think you know getting really down to your intention about why you're even pursuing good health in the first place like it's really just about the way that you want to feel. Yeah. So many people attach it to the number on the scale or you know clear skin or what have you. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. We all deserve to feel good physically in our bodies, but at the end of the day, we kind of just want to feel free and at peace and living a joyful life. And so if, if the route to getting those health goals is, you know, laced with anxiety and fear and stress, well, you know, you can come out the other side and get the number on the scale and the clear skin or what have you. And it's no guarantee if you haven't done the inner work, right. That you're going to feel any better on the other side of that. Yeah. And,
1: you know, if you are so, in a place yeah. of fear, or stress, or anxiety, you know, absolutely everybody's welcome here. It's a totally fine place to start. But, um, I, I just like to, I don't know, I, I, I think about what I do and the phrase that always comes to mind is I enjoy watching the light come back into people's eyes. Like that's, that's what I,
0: want mm, I love that. Yeah. It's cool. So that is a perfect segue to talking a little bit more about, um, acupuncture and just kind of getting a little bit deeper into how it works. I mean, just kind of based on what I know and reading on your website, you know, it's used to treat so many issues, ailments and um, illnesses from physical to emotional. Um, So can you talk a little bit more about how that works, especially when it comes to things like physical pain um, and then more of the emotional stuff?
1: Yeah. Um, I think there's a huge body of research that is starting to um, amass about acupuncture that barely existed ten years ago, and I am—I honestly—I don't really stay up on it. Um, I have some very basic sense of how acupuncture works that I can help you with, but if anybody's curious, you know, go search PubMed. There's there's so much stuff now. Um, what I will say is with, with pain, I think the explanation is, is pretty simple. Um, a lot of chronic pain I find is from soft tissue dysregulation, which basically means tight muscles or tight connective tissue. And you know, with needles, you can get into places that you can't easily with hands during massage or rolfing or whatever. And you can um, really quickly and efficiently reset some of these tension patterns that are in the body and over time retrain tension patterns out of the body. So if somebody, as TMJ, they've got chronic jaw pain. You know, I will put needles near the ends of the motor neurons and the muscles to essentially reset them. And often the muscle will kind of twitch or spasm, or sometimes I'll use a little TENS unit, which uses just a tiny little bit of electricity to kind of stimulate that. Um, You know, sometimes when people get whiplash, the connective tissue is just really hard and frozen, and you can just sort of go in with little teeny tiny needles and just talk to the connective tissue and it will start sort of waking up and softening and moving. And um, there was something I saw a long time ago that was looking at how these little um, control centers in the connective tissue, like three inches away from an acupuncture needle were like moving and responding and changing and changing the laxity cool. in the connective tissue, which I just thought was so cool. It's like little almost pain-free little microsurgeries or something. So with the way it works for pain, I, I totally, get it. You know, my, my science background totally gets it. When it comes to emotional stuff, I feel like it's more mysterious in a, not in a one day we won't get it kind of way, but I feel like the science just isn't right there. And, and honestly, we so rarely understand how and why a pharmaceutical works, you know, like nobody knows why Prozac works or, you know, maybe that's a bad example. I think we do know why Prozac works, but there are a lot of pharmaceuticals we don't really understand how or why they work um we just know that they do and you know that's that's good enough most of the time and you know maybe it's partially placebo but i think ultimately with emotional stuff it kind of boils down to um there's that parable about what wolf that do you feed you know um and mm-hmm. do you want to feed stress and anxiety and fear or do you want to feed calm and feelings of positivity and just doing something like meditation, is just teaching your brain something new. I think acupuncture can be very similar. You're you're giving your brain and your body the experience of relax and calm or pain reduction or whatever. And the more you repeat that experience, the more it's going to stick with you, the more you're going to form these new neurological pathways that stay with you over time. So um, it could be more complex than that. I don't know, but I know at the very least that's happening with people who are, they're, they're forming new neural pathways. I'm you know, I'm bringing them into this very controlled environment where things are very calm, and a very specific way. The music is a very specific way. The furniture is a very specific way, and you know, we talk in a very specific way, and you know, try to keep things very calm. And so, from the minute somebody's walking in the door, the treatment's already started. Um, so, just you know,
0: just retraining people's brains, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that, and you're so right. Your environment is so calming, and I just. I try, and for that reason, whenever I see you, schedule it towards the end of the day because it's almost like this boundary from kind of you know the work stress to like I walk in, it's almost just this like sigh of relief. Um, so you know, kudos to you to creating that amazing environment. I had some
1: help. Nicole Rutledge, who is a local interior designer, helped me a lot of stuff that we have here.
0: So cool. Um, So you also work a lot with Chinese herbs, right? So can you talk a little bit about how that works and kind of, um, how it works with acupuncture and by itself?
1: Yeah. So the practice of Chinese medicine is, is a full medical system that goes beyond acupuncture alone. There's, you know, movement therapy, there's dietary therapy, there's acupuncture, there's Chinese herbs and, um, There's a fifth pillar or something I'm forgetting because I just kind of do a couple of those. Um, So I think acupuncture is really cool. It's not a magic bullet. It's not going to solve everybody's problems. Um, Acupuncture is great for, I'm going to really kind of dumb it down. Acupuncture is good for kind of moving stuff around in a system. But, you know, if somebody has a nutritional deficiency or their diet's been off, acupuncture is not going to really do anything to correct that, right? Like it's not it's not, it's not a magical thing. It's not going to put energy, you know, or, you know, vitamins or minerals into your deficient system or whatever, or help um, clear out an overgrowth of bacteria in your gut or, you know, whatever that kind of thing. So that's more internal medicine stuff. And to fix things on the inside of the body, you usually need to put things inside the body. So Chinese herbs are the system that I, that I learned along with dietary stuff. That's, the most efficient and effective for that. So when patients come in with internal medicine problems and I often include mental health in that, I'll typically include um, Chinese herbs with the treatment plans that I give people because it just, it works so much faster than acupuncture
0: alone for stuff like that. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and I've been on both. And so um, I can personally attest to their effectiveness for sure. Um, so do you have any clients, you know, just one example that you could think of that, you know, has had a major breakthrough or changes when working with you, whether that was acupuncture alone or both with the herbs. Is there anything that comes to mind?
1: Oh, well, um, I mean, I'm tempted to say, yeah, of course, every day. But what do you mean when you say that?
0: <laughs> What's like, like let's say someone, like, I remember, like, my best friend's dad had a really bad knee injury. And she always talks about how acupuncture was the one thing that basically healed his knee um you know and now it's normal like i remember him like on crutches and like limping around and like nothing was working physical therapy stuff like that but then he went to acupuncture and it was like bam done um so like you know whether it's like on the physical pain side or like digestive issues or maybe you worked with someone who um, was struggling with infertility and got pregnant or something like that. I'm not saying that that again is like the magic bullet, but just didn't know if you had anyone from your experience that kind of came to mind.
1: Yeah. Like, are you, are you looking for like a, you want me to tell like a story about somebody or you were just, yeah.
0: Yeah. If you have one. Okay. Well, I have to be
1: careful (laughs) because I have to protect patients. Of um, course. Privacy. Obviously. Give me me a second to think about. Yeah. Um, something I will, I think what comes to mind is, you know, if a doctor or something is listening to this, they're going to think I'm insane, but I love treating chronic pain because the results are so good and so consistent that to me, it's almost in the most wonderful way possible. Like it's almost boring. Seeing chronic pain patients. I'm like, Oh yeah, I got you. I can't help everything. Like you have a bone spur, you know, something wrong with your bones. Like that's a lot harder, but most stuff is soft tissue and and easy. Fine. But, I'll get patients sometimes. So I, I feel like I kind of get the sense that they're, they're about to kind of go on a, like a little bit of a wild ride in their life. Like this, that maybe this, I'll get a patient every few months like this, where they're on the cusp of realizing that they need to change a lot of things that are going on in their lives, but they haven't really had like the time or the presence of mind to, to figure that out for themselves yet. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I'll get people that are just totally miserable and they'll, they'll talk about their totally miserable job and I'm just like yeah I, I think by the time I'm not going to tell you this but I think by the time you're done you're going to start feeling so much better that you're no longer going to be able to tolerate the toxic job that you're stuck in or whatever and mm. you know so it's really fun to watch people take stock of what's not bringing them joy in their lives you know or you know just bringing in like lots of yucky toxicity or whatever and see them start to realize that they deserve better than that, you know, that they deserve to have a life that makes them feel good. And I, you know, the light starts to come back into their eyes and they start to remember or maybe experience for the first time what that's supposed to feel like. So, you know, they'll quit the job, they'll get a new job and, you know, be some crazy circumstance, like so-and-so on LinkedIn, you know, message me out of the blue and I got this amazing job offer and I'm going to take it you know, or they, you know, decide to go to counseling with their spouse that they've been avoiding for forever, or they start to realize that um, their problems with their, with their spouse aren't all their fault. And, you know, they stop taking like total ownership and, and blame, or you can manifest a million different ways, but it's really fun to, when people come on, on that level and, you know, they are um, reviewing everything that goes on in their lives and, and just, it's fun to see people decide to design a better life for themselves. I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's really anything directly about what I do, other than I just give them a taste of feeling good and they decide to like claim ownership of that. It's really neat.
0: For sure. And I completely believe in that and how what you focus on, you know, grows. So I think that when you can kind of start a journey of wanting to feel good, and then you realize that there's this, major area in your life that makes you feel the exact opposite. You know, you, you kind of then embark on this um, journey, if you will, to just feel better in other areas of life.
1: Yeah. And I will say just in a completely different, more like medical complaint kind Mm -hmm. of realm, it's really fun watching women who have had really horrible, like horrific murder scene periods their entire life mm-hmm. you know, or really painful periods or get really bad migraines around their periods forever. You know, they just, you know, they don't even know that something else is possible and see
0: them have a period where they're like,
1: wow, that, that actually wasn't that bad. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's, like. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And I'm sure so many people listening who s- s- suffer from that will kind of appreciate it and maybe be inspired to explore acupuncture for themselves because I've heard very similar stories. Um, so what are some of kind of like the myths and fears about acupuncture or, you know, kind of what you do in general? Myths. Mm,
1: well, 10 years ago when I started, it was more like, does it really work? You know, I hear less and less of that. I think it's becoming mm-hmm. more and more mainstream, which I'm so excited about. Um the questions that I get these days are more like does it hurt, you know, or a fear around the needles, which is yeah. understandable. Our experience with needles and Western medicine is these huge injection needles and they're really painful and um, I'm not really a big fan of needles, so it's another kind of a funny reason that uh, <laughs> these needles are structured so incredibly different. They're more like I mean, they're more like a, like the size of them is more like a coarse hair, as opposed to what we think of as this really stiff, heavy, big gauge needle. Um, so mm-hmm. even some of the most uh, extreme needle phobic people are always really surprised at how the needles feel is so different Then the people that are true needle phobes really prefer to call them pins instead of needles, which I'm totally fine with. Um, yeah,
0: cause they are very small, like, a pin.
1: yes, like little and, and thin. And so that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions is that, you know, getting jabbed with a bunch of needles is just going to be this really you know, painful, uncomfortable thing. And, you know, it, it feels like, you know, you feel like a little teeny tiny poke, but it's, you know, people fall asleep afterwards. You know, if it were some bad, horrific thing, like, you know, you'd be on, you know, on the edge of your seat or whatever.
0: Right, right. That's probably
1: the biggest yeah. I can see these days,
0: yeah. Sometimes you know, people will ask me like,
1: "Do you reuse the needles?" No. Like, good God, no, no, they go <laughs> to the sharps disposal bin. They get shipped off to whatever medical facility deals with that stuff, and one and done, sterile, single use. <laughs> yeah,
0: oh my gosh, yes, yeah. So I mean, it's a good question case. to ask. Like, no shame to anybody that has that question, but. absolutely not absolutely not yeah so now there's nothing to be afraid of and you shouldn't have resistance about acupuncture um so kind of going off on a separate tangent for a second just selfishly and because we talk a lot about sleep hygiene on healthified can you talk about acupuncture and sleep issues and also along those lines like And I think I've talked to you about this before. I, you know, I've suffered from sleep issues for years and especially like I've gone through bouts of insomnia and I wake up every single night between four and four thirty, mm. like it's like on the dot. And so I have a friend who is in Chinese medicine, she's on the West coast, but she would you know, tell me that like, Oh, waking up between four and six, this is connected to your lungs. And that's connected to like sadness and grief, according to Chinese medicine. And I'm like, but I'm not sad, you know, like I don't, and I'm, I, my lung capacity is pretty great. Like I've never had, you know, asthma or anything like that. So I guess two parts to my question acupuncture and sleep and how can it help? And is there that connection in Chinese medicine about sleep issues and like organ, um, you know, how it relates to different organs?
1: Sure. Um, so with most sleep patients, my personal preference is to do acupuncture and herbs because often there's, you know, something else going on. It's not, sleep's complicated. Mm -hmm. you know, blood sugar, hormones, stress all feeds into it. So I like to do a real well-rounded approach and then ask things about, you know, when was your last meal and, you know, did it have plenty of protein and Mm. stuff like that. Um, I think it can be a friggin' game changer for sleep. Um, and that's the way I know how to treat it best. Um, what the second part of your question was, what was it?
0: <laughs> about like the organs in the oh, body, yeah, yeah, and yeah. All, like waking up at like 4am. Have yeah. you heard that? Oh, I'm sure. Oh, you yeah, okay. of course. Um,
1: there's huh. Chinese medicine diagnosis is all about patterns. And so it's easy to take and like this, your friend was just chit-chatting with you and like, yes, yeah, she's right. It can be associated with that, but in like real, a real like patient relationship, you tend to not like take a single symptom out of context. You're looking for groupings of symptoms. So
0: mm-hmm. a lot of patients
1: will have, you know, I don't know, let's talk, Let's say you're doing a really simple diagnosis based on five element or something. Most people will have some symptoms in each of the, the five things that you could be picking from. So you look for the largest grouping so yeah you might have this one symptom that's related to lungs or metal or you know whatever this chinese uh language kind of medicine stuff that most people aren't going to understand but yeah um you look for patterns and you match you ask the patient a bunch of questions or you have them fill out a big intake form and so you're looking for for patterns essentially and mm-hmm. so yeah you've got this one funky symptom but nothing else matches so in a real provider environment, they would just kind of be like, Oh, well pass, you know, we'll put a pin on that. It'll probably resolve on its own if we figure out what's really going on underneath that. So that's a branch and you're looking for the root.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So acupuncture and herbs for sleep issues, check. (laughs) I I need to come back to you. Um, but along those lines, I am actually pregnant right now. Um, so can pregnant women do acupuncture and herbs or
1: theoretically,
0: Yes. I almost never
1: give pregnant women herbs just because, gotcha. yeah. You know, yeah. So it's abu- an abundance of caution is, is uh, right. It's okay. And I just didn't get great training in that. It's not yeah. that you can't, or if mm-hmm. your acupuncturist is giving you herbs while you're pregnant, that it's bad. Like absolutely not. I just, that's just my thing.
0: Yeah. But they can, but pregnant women can do acupuncture. Oh yes. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. Not Good more.
1: sickness, come see me. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Got Congratulations, it. Congratulations, by the way. That's okay. Oh, thank you. Um, yes, we're very excited. Um, all right. So shifting gears a little bit. So um, what I want to know is you obviously seem like you're a wealth of knowledge and you've probably learned so much about health and the body. Um, what... you learning about now what is exciting you now these days
1: um it's super nerdy it's very i love it not related to 90s medicine at all i've been (laughs) i went to grad school in 2006 i have been practicing for almost 10 over 10 years if you count my last year at school where you're treating patients but just like under the supervision of a doctor Mm -hmm. so At at this point in my career, like, I I feel like I've pretty well got it down, you know, I I come to work, I treat people, and I go home, and um, it's been a funny time to try to have new hobbies because of the pandemic, so I got really interested in learning about investing um, about a year ago, and so I've just been dabbling there, kind of more like my science and math brain, which really gets um, no play at, at work. yeah. And, uh, you know, I love to cook. That's probably my biggest hobby. So I'm always, you know, trying to find new recipes or ingredients or, you know, things and like that. And um, yeah, that's probably, that's probably been, you know, what I've been learning about the most lately.
0: Yeah. What's your favorite thing to cook?
1: Um, What is my favorite thing to cook? Um, Something new is my favorite thing to cook. Mm. I always love something new, but I will say that probably my like signature dish is something I call wine chicken. Cool. Um, I will give you the recipe because it is super simple. Basically you take whatever cut of chicken that you want, but it needs to be bone in. So we like thighs. Mm -hmm. You dredge it in, um, egg and then you dredge it in flour Mm -hmm. and you just sear it in the pan, both sides, get it nice and Brown. And then, um, So like, sometimes I'll do a whole chicken and I'll have to do a couple of rounds of searing and I'll have like a pile of, you know, breaded chicken, Um, you know, an olive oil, nothing like, we're not like talking like deep fry or whatever. You're just browning it. And so it gets this nice crust and you put all the pieces of chicken back in the pan and you pour, um, I do like like a kind of a sharp olive oil. We're not talking about like deep frying or anything like that, you're just browning basically. Then you you know, I'll have the pieces aside and I'll, I'll bring them back in the pan when they're all done. And I'll get like a really um, nice kind of sharp, acidic, bright Sauvignon Blanc and pour it, you know, maybe like a third of the way up the chicken, just enough to keep it moist um, while you cook it. So you, then you put the lid on and I cook it for about 45 minutes on the stove, low heat, um, like medium low um, on my stove. It's like a three instead of it goes up to a nine. Um, and then it's, it's like a little crisp at the top and, um, a little bit of breading, but not like an insane amount. And it's just like really tender fall apart, you know, salt and pepper, of course, don't forget that. And, um, over some, some rice, you know, chicken and rice, classic dish. That's just, I just something I kind of made up one day and everybody seems to love it.
0: Oh my gosh. That's amazing. (laughs) I made that up. I was like, oh, I should like, you know, link a recipe on on the interwebs too, but it sounds like, that sounds so good. Sounds so well, good, wine Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of the pandemic, I just wanna quickly talk about COVID. And, you know, obviously this is weaved its way through all of the interviews that I've done. Um, did it impact your business and how did oh, it affect, affect you and how did you kind of, did you, did you notice different, um, a difference in the things people were coming to see you for? Oh yeah. Good questions. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, business really dropped off about a year ago. Um, we were just slammed busy in mid-March and then when the stay at home order came, it was just like crickets. I had about 20 people that were coming um, once a week. And back then, you know, you, I'm sure you remember, we didn't really know much about the virus or how easily transmissible it was. And I had started to hear about it in mid-January. So I had been very aware of what was happening. And I was pretty sure I was just, I was crunching numbers. I was like, you know, putting in cases in an exponential calculator and going like, oh gosh, there's like almost no way that this isn't coming for us. So I was prepared sort of, I hired an old friend of mine who is a really amazing PhD um, infectious disease epidemiologist who does consultations with businesses. So she, um, we consulted, she lives in France now actually. So it was over Zoom. I you know, gave center a video of the clinic, what everything looked like. And she just gave me a to-do list. She was like, do this, get rid of this. The blankets have to go, the water tank has to go you know, hand sanitizer here, hand sanitizer there, you know, what's going on with your HVAC unit. She just like walked me through everything. It was amazing. So I had everything set up. And um, so that felt really good. And I kept the patient load really low for a while, months until just we had like a sense of what was going on. I just wanted everybody to be super safe. I didn't want to, you know, give anybody any unnecessary risk. I felt really good about being here. My staff felt really good about being here. So that was a pretty good barometer. Um, but we just did a ton of stuff and, but a lot of acupuncturist office, like they didn't have that resource. They were closing down, you know, people stayed stay close right. for months. It was a really mixed bag. And then, um, you asked me about that. Did you, you notice a change? That? Oh, yeah. in the- yes. That's been crazy actually. So you see patterns in populations, like, you know, I, th- I think on an individual level we are super different, but a lot of us do the same stuff. You know, we work, we go out to eat at the end of the day because we're tired. You know, we sit in our office chairs a lot, or our school chair or whatever. It's a lot of sitting and a lot of eating at restaurants in Richmond in general, right? And a lot of like drinking yeah. beer at breweries and you know having fun on the weekends. Fun. Yeah. So. <laughs> The root, you know, we are talking about like roots and branches, the root of what I was seeing with a lot of people before the pandemic was basically just like gut dysbiosis, sort of running rampant and causing lots, lots of inflammation in the body. Mm-hmm. And when the pandemic started, it completely went away. Like I was seeing these like really thick tongue coatings, um, the tongue coating is literally gut bacteria in the mouth. And so a thick tongue coating is literally like an overgrowth of gut bacteria coming into the mouth. And like that all disappeared on most people. Um, And also um, you can kind of look at the tongue, this like the size of the tongue as an earlier indication of inflammation in the body or water retention. And like people's tongues started shrinking. It was wild. So like all this like gut dysbiosis stuff from, you know, having too much fun on the weekends, basically started to go away. And what started to happen was the words don't matter in Chinese medicine, we call it liver cheese stagnation, but basically it started to be patterns of people having problems, predictable problems from sitting around too much. Cause we're all stuck in our houses. Right. You know, and like working at weird, like workstations at home that really weren't ergonomic or whatever. So it was pain and people just feeling like really restless and grumpy and stuck. And just kind of like, um, you know, we think of it as just getting stir crazy, but all this right. physical symptoms can come with it. And so that's what it turned into to. And um, it's kind of stayed that way. It's gotten a little better, I think, for some people, but um, it's been really fascinating to see how it's
0: changed. I know. I don't know if people can know right now. My eyes are like, I'm like <laughs> wide. I'm like, this is very fascinating. Um, yeah, because I mean, that, that makes sense hearing you say that. But I just feel as if no one would really think about that. That's how that would impact people.
1: I never would have, except I was, I was just seeing it. I was like, what is happening? You know, I, I have probably, you know, I don't know, let's say four or five formulas that I use the most consistently because a lot of us have the same health problems or like the roots are the same. And it, the formulas completely changed. Like it's a completely different five formulas that I'm using over and over again. And, you know, I'll get weird cases where somebody needs some really special thing or whatever, of course, like it's not, lit- not literally the same thing for everybody, but mm-hmm. the trends have absolutely changed. Yeah. It's been, yeah, it's been cool.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the whole liver health thing, We've I've written a couple, um, published a couple articles about liver health on Healthified and, and that always fascinates me too and speaking of like with regards to how you say you use the tongue to detect different things I remember coming into your office the first time for our first session and you took my pulse Mm -hmm. and you after like five seconds were like oh have you had mono I was was like well as a matter of fact I have like are you a mind reader what is going on can you just I, I just think just for my own personal interest how do you do that How do I do that?
1: Well, I just learned from somebody who learned from somebody who learned from somebody. (laughs) I learned from a lot of somebody's truthfully, but if you think about it, the best way I've been able to make sense of it is that if you look at physics and you look at the study of fluid dynamics, you know, fluid moving in a closed system, if you, if something changes in that system, it changes the way the fluid is moving everywhere. And so basically all pulse reading is is um without realizing that it was that it's just a, a study of fluid dynamics so mm. if you know something swells and expands in one area of the body or shrinks and contracts it um you know once so we're always taking the pulse in the exact same place it turns out that it affects the pulse in very pretty predictable ways which is you know it sounds really mysterious i think until you you think about it that way and so yeah it's not an exact science it's not like doing an MRI or CT and like knowing for absolute certain, but just like, you know, taking the symptom out of context, like, you know, your lungs are fine, you know, sure. You try to match any pulse taking or tongue reading or symptoms all together. You're pairing everything together. So you're looking for big trends. So you might get some red herrings or whatever, if you take the pulse or just look at the tongue. Um, so you match everything up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So bottom line is like, your body is this amazing, fascinating machine. And um, I think so. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So my last question for you that I ask everybody, because I have a personal fascination with morning routines and I love hearing about different ones. What is your morning routine?
1: My morning routine. Our alarm goes off at about six. Um, we're both out of bed by six thirty. 30. Um, I shower. I go downstairs. I make coffee and um that's the first thing (laughs) after the showers the coffee (laughs) big coffee fan used to be a big tea drinker um until i started i started getting some kidney stones um i think from the oxalates and the tea so i switched Mm -hmm. over to coffee it seems to work a little better for me but i still love tea and um yeah then breakfast and you know i'm i'm a healthcare provider first but i'm also a business owner so i my brain is the sharpest in the morning. So I'll try to do all of the just, you know, kind of boring business running things, my Instagram posts and whatever kind of in the morning. And I'm more in this space for like meditation or slowing down kind of like late afternoon. So if it's a day Mm -hmm. I'm not at work, I like to do that kind of stuff then. Um, So yeah, for me, I'm in the mornings, I am just like chomping at the bit, ready to get some stuff done, even on the weekends. Like yeah. I, I don't, I can't sleep in. I lost the ability to do that years Same. ago. So I just get yeah. up and start doing stuff. That's uh, That's what I'm like, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> Yeah. Hence why our interviews in the morning, because that's when my brain's the sharpest. And so, um, yeah, I totally agree. And if people can kind of understand that about themselves and the periods of their day when they're most productive or least productive, like I try and kind of leave like the tasky check the boxes that doesn't take a lot of brain power kind of for mid afternoon. And then later afternoon, I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm ready to go home and read. (laughs) So it's, I totally get how that works for sure. But coffee is important, and breakfast
1: is super important. If I miss breakfast, um, it's gonna be a scene.
0: Here, yeah. What what what's your favorite breakfast these days?
1: We rotate. Um, some days it's like a, I like Kite Hill yogurt. I've mentioned that I'm lactose intolerant, so if I say mm-hmm. yogurt and granola, people are gonna be like, "What?" <laughs> but we do that um, sometimes, or eggs. Um, my husband makes some mean scrambled eggs. Little. Piece of toast some fresh fruit or something um i try to in the as i'm sure you're aware you listen you you've listened to me spiel feel about this i try to not eat cold food in the winter um yeah so the yogurt is more of a, a summertime thing for us um what else do we? you know sometimes it'll just be like a little piece of toast or something or sometimes like eggs and sausage it, it's just it's all over the place. And just
0: literally whatever I'm looking for, it's nice. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, Well, thank you so much for coming on today. This is such an eye-opening conversation. And um, before we sign off, where can people find you?
1: Oh, sure. Um, So if you just type in centeredrichmond.com, it'll take you to the website. Um, I'm on Instagram. I think my handle is centered Richmond Acu. I think. <laughs> it's just that I don't know that. Um, <laughs> I post on it all the time, but there's a link to it on the web page. So if you go to the web page, you can find everything you want. I post um, free videos on Instagram probably about once lately. So if you're just in for some free health tips, you want to just learn a little bit more about yourself you can follow me on Insta and otherwise we do free consults. So if you have a health problem and you're just kind of curious to hear about what it would take to get you feeling better, you can schedule those on the website.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I know so many people are going to be looking you up and um, if they haven't tried acupuncture in the past, then hopefully you are considering it because it is just another tool in your toolbox that you can do to be feeling your best self. So really appreciate all the wisdom and it's so great to connect and I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the healthified podcast and hope you enjoyed this episode. If it resonated with you, please share it with a friend or rate and review the podcast, which helps us share the health with more people for further learning. Be sure to check out the linked resources in the show notes, and you can connect with us on Instagram at healthified and at gratified until next time.